Well, good morning to you. It is good to see you. It's been good to worship with you. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, worship team, thank you for uh, leading us. Uh, welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully, joyfully serve as senior pastor here. Uh, and if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest this morning. You are an answer to prayer. I have been praying for you and your family this week, and and as our guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Thank you again for being our guest this morning. Kids, it's always good to see you here at church. Now, today is the fifth Sunday of the month, and so what that means is I won't be dismissing you to kids' church. We want to give our kids' church leaders a break every now and again, and I enjoy having you guys here in church service with us, and so, uh, so you guys get to stick around and hang out uh, with us um, this morning. Now, when I was a kid sitting in church, like you guys are going to today, um, I remember sitting in church with my mom, and we would play a game on our bulletin. We would draw it out. The game's called Dots. Have you ever played the game Dots before? Inside your kid's bulletin, I've put a couple of Dots games for you and whoever you're sitting next to to play with while I'm speaking you know, I don't remember ever playing that game with my mom except for at church. And so that's a fond memory for me. I was able to hear what the pastor was talking about as I was playing the dots game. She would always win, but, but it still was a fun, a fun game. Um, I do want to remind you that we're having this back-to-school bake-off that's happening this Wednesday at 6. We're going to be making some fun stuff to eat, um, and I have a brand-new fun thing that I've placed back here for us. So while we're baking the things we're going to be baking, we're going to go upstairs and play with this new thing that I've got for us. It's basically real-life Minecraft. And it, it has these pieces you put together. We can make a fort. So we're going to make a huge fort together. It's going to look like Minecraft. We're going to, going to well, you guys can crawl through it and uh, and have a... Well, you left. That was that was easier than I thought. You guys would. Oh well. But we're gonna play with some of this while we're make, while we're baking the food. Then we'll eat it and still play. It should be a fun time this Wednesday for our kids. So be here uh, at six on Wednesday for our fun back to school bake off. Uh, parents, grandparents, if your kids or grandkids get a little squirrely, um, that's okay. If they make noise, that's okay. I'll be somewhat brief this morning. Um, but we do uh, have the lobby if they're a little too much to handle. We have TVs out there, tables, uh, and more dots games are out in the lobby. So uh, and use that if you need to. But we're going to finish our summer series this morning, Summer in the Psalms. And we've tried to, over the summer, get to know God better through looking at a few of these psalms. And Lord willing, we're going to return to the psalms next year over summer. And I'm already looking forward to that. I hope you've enjoyed this time together in the Psalms over the summer. As I look at the Psalms now, I'm looking for parallelism. I'm looking to see if there's a chiastic structure in the Psalm that I'm reading. And this, this series has helped grow me in my study of the Psalms. I hope it has for you as well. Next week, we're going to begin a new series in the book of Jude. And I'm calling this series Unfollow. 
Jude is a short book, and if you haven't read through it yet, I would encourage you to read through it before our series begins next week because I don't want you to be surprised with what Jude has. Jude has some hard things in it uh, that are in the Bible, that are in there for us to learn, and I don't want you to be surprised by uh, what's in there. Uh, We will see uh, what Jude brings to our attention because Jude hits pretty hard. He hits pretty hard, and we'll discover some difficult things that apply probably to our community. There's probably some things in there that apply to our region. And we're going to see what Jude brings to the attention of his readers is still probably around today in the church. We'll use his wisdom and his counsel to help address sin that's inside of probably many churches in in this area. Uh, It'll be good but it might be hard. Uh, God's words to us are always good. They're always for our good, even, even in the d- difficulty. But first, let's finish Psalms, our series in Psalms. We'll be in Psalms one, Psalm 149 this morning. Now, this is the last psalm in our series. It's the next to last psalm in the book. And like Psalm 146, which was last week's psalm, Psalm 149 is in this last five psalms of the Psalter. And they are collectively known as the fivefold hallelujah. They're kind of like, these last five psalms are kind of like an exclamation mark at the end of the book of Psalms, really making the stress and point that we are meant to worship. Part of our purpose, our life purpose, is to worship God. Psalm 149 is broken up into two parts, and each part will help us to discover some of what our life purpose is, what our purpose is in our salvation. Let's look at Psalm 149 this morning. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Let's pray in response to what we read this morning in Psalm 149. God, you are good. We thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you are a God who takes pleasure in your people, that you adorn the humble with salvation. We thank you for the salvation. Lord, let us exult in your glory this morning. Let us sing for joy on our beds this evening. Let the high praises of you be in our throats as we think of you and what you've done for us. You are good to us. Praise the Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I realize this morning, you and I, we are, well, you guys are setting in a Baptist church. I am standing, but uh, we are here in a Baptist church this morning, and this psalm raises a difficult thing 
for many Southern Baptists. I said, we're sitting in the Baptist church this morning. Some of us may stand, some of us may walk to get water or visit the restroom, but that's the extent of our movement is sitting or standing in the Baptist church. And I grew up in the Baptist church, and one of the things that Baptists don't do, especially inside the Baptist church, is dance. Now, why is that? Was that your experience growing up? Were you told that you don't dance because dancing is sinful or dancing in a church is wrong? Was that, is that just me or is that something that was told to you all as well? Why do you think that was told to you? Psalm 149 clearly tells us something different. As I'm getting older and spending more time reading the Bible for myself, I'm realizing that a lot of what I was told as a kid to do or not to do from the church isn't really in the Bible. Now, why is that, do you think? Are there churches today around here that would still say, don't dance, or don't dance at church, that dancing is sinful? I assume there are, but I, I don't know that many other churches around here. You guys would probably be better to know than I would if there are church that, churches that say things like this. And I wonder if there's churches that would say other things that you shouldn't do that the Bible doesn't prohibit. And why, why is it that churches and Sunday school teachers and pastors want to add things to the Bible like don't dance or don't dance at church? Why do they say things like that? I, I want to believe the best about churches around here and, and other pastors around here, so I, I want to believe the best. But to say, teach or preach that dancing is a sin or that we shouldn't dance in the church and definitely not dance um, while we're worshiping, they've either been taught wrongly or they haven't read or studied the whole Bible for themselves or they have a different agenda. And I don't know what else it could be. It has to be one of those things. In the case of my growing up in the Baptist church over in Glasgow, I think my church was probably taught wrongly. I think that was a cultural thing that seeped into the church, and the church just accepted it and didn't read the whole Bible for themselves. It's, it's easy for us just to repeat something that we've heard, isn't it? We do it all the time, especially when we have so much news and media coming at us. We don't have time or the energy to validate and study and see if what we're going to share or repeat is actual truth. But we've been doing it for a long time. I know that I attempt to bring to you God's Word each and every week, studied for, prayed over, and researched. I hope that I'm sharing with you the truth that's in the Bible. That is my agenda, is to share with you the truth that's in the Bible. I hope that that, that comes across, but I know that I am human. I know that there, I will probably miss some things in my studies. I know that I may not catch every nuance from the text, when that happens, I am trusting that you are also studying the Bible along with me. And you're not just taking in what I say, but you're looking at God's Word and seeing if what I say is what it says, and if my conclusions are proper conclusions from what you're looking at in God's Word. I'm trusting that you're studying the Bible too. I'm trusting that if there are times that maybe I say something that that strikes a chord with you that isn't what you were taught or what you thought that you would lovingly come to me and, and show, with, show me where the Bible says the thing that I might have missed. 
I hope that's what happens. As your pastor, I want us to be a people of the Bible. I don't want us to be a people of my opinion or of what we were taught when we grew, what we grew up. I want us to use the Bible to rule our thoughts, to rule our actions, and to rule our conversations. I'm confident that I am bringing you God's words each week, but even in that confidence, I hope that you are studying along with me, asking questions of the text, asking the Bible, is that what it really says? If something I say doesn't sit right with you, ask yourself, is that what the Bible says? Then ask yourself, is that something that is going against something I was taught growing up and was what I, taught, was, what I was taught growing up in the Bible? Then ask yourself, if, it's, if, if what I say is, strikes you as something that's wrong, ask yourself, is the world informing your thoughts on that idea? Ask all those questions, but ultimately we have to let, as Christians, we have to let the Bible rule our thoughts, rule our actions, and rule our conversations. Dancing probably can lead to sin. I've seen enough movies where dancing has led to sin. But dancing to praise God is not a sin. Dancing to praise God in the church, even a Baptist church, is not sinful. It is, in fact, commanded in the Bible to dance and praise God. Right here in Psalm 149, we get biblical permission to dance in church and praise God by doing it. Now, Brett, I don't know that Come Just As You Are is a, a tune that requires dancing, but if you see some swaying in our invitational song, don't panic. It's biblical. Um, psalm 149 is a psalm of praise this morning. We're going to continue looking at the psalm of praise. Now, we don't, we don't know who wrote it, but Psalm 149 does have that chiastic structure that we've seen several of our psalms in our study over the summer. It opens and closes with the same phrase, praise the Lord. Verse 1 corresponds with the second part of verse 9. Verses 2 and 3 correspond with verses 8 and 9. 4 corresponds with verse 7. And verses 5 and 6 correspond with each other. There's two main points here in Psalm 149. and both of these points relate to your purpose as a Christian and a living human, human being. They both relate to our purpose of our salvation and our life. Let's look again at the first five verses of Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion in their let them name with dancing, make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Old songs faith are wonderful. The hymns that we grew up singing and using for our worship, they are treasures that we can continue to benefit from and sing. Our worship, just like our faith, should also be future thinking. We should find new ways to praise our God also. Psalm 149 tells us to sing a new song to God. Why? 
in your notes, worship is the proper response to salvation. We should never tire of finding ways to express our devotion and adoration to God. Our salvation moves us to praise and worship our God. As we continue to live in this world that is stained by sin, we are regularly reminded of what life would have been like if it wasn't for God and what he did for us and to us. Worship is the proper response to salvation. And a big part of your life purpose as a Christian is to live a life of worship in response to what God has done. A big part of your life's purpose, no matter how old or how young you are, is to live a life of praise to God for what he has done. Psalm 149 picks up on this idea that's in Revelation 5. Revelation 5.9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal. For you were slain, and your blood ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We should sing a new song for what God has done, especially for what Jesus has done. That's what we have here in Revelation 5 is a song, a new song being sang, a song about Jesus. Now, remember in Psalm 82 a, f- a few weeks ago, we had this divine assembly. Whoever they were, we have this divine assembly that's kind of getting scolded at by God. He's gathered, gathered them up and he's fussing at them a bit. We have this, this divine assembly getting fussed at. But then here in Psalm 149, we have a different assembly. We have the assembly of the godly. The godly assembly is made up of believers, like you and me. And we play an important role, Now we're going to get to that in just a moment, but it seems clear from the Psalms as we study them collectively that something changes from the past with this divine counsel to a future counsel of the godly. There is a transference of responsibility from the divine assembly to the assembly of the godly. And your notes... The next blank is worship is active. Worship includes singing, dancing, and playing instruments. Worship is active. If you've been to a Pentecostal church, you've seen an active worship service, I'm sure. If you've been to a Presbyterian church, you've seen an inactive worship service, I'm sure, at least on the outside. Now, I find myself that that I worship more like a Presbyterian on the outside. I am still and I'm reverent, but on the inside, I am much more Pentecostal. On the outside, I don't have rhythm. On the outside, I can't dance. On the outside, I am unable to sing with skill. But on the inside, I transform into Michael Jackson, dancing and praising God. And maybe you're that way too. I say all that to say that if you aren't an expressive person, don't feel like you have to be expressive outwardly in your worship. I know personally that still and reverent externally worship can be loud and expressive internally. But if you are an expressive person, you have biblical freedom and permission to praise God with movement. Regardless of what others around you are doing, or thinking, or not doing, or not thinking. If you want to raise your hands in worship, do it. If you want to clap, 
even if you're offbeat, you can do it. If you want to praise God by moving around or swaying body parts, do it. The Psalms say, let them praise his name with dancing. Worship is active. The next blank in your notes is God takes pleasure in believers. God takes pleasure in believers. And God takes pleasure in seeing and hearing all of this. All of our worship, the psalmist says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Now I get this picture of God watching and hearing our worship like a proud parent watching their toddlers and dance. And I have to show you, I have an illustration to show you what I, what I mean, what I'm talking about. Emily and I, we've recorded hours and hours, probably weeks worth of videos of our kids as they've grown up. And I'm about to show you one of our favorite videos. Anytime it pops up on Facebook, we have to spend multiple views of watching this. Take a look at this video. So if, if I did dance in front of y'all, I would look like they do. Um, Lily has the one move of pointing and swaying, and Ruby's expressive in her clothing as she dances. But every time I see that video, we have to watch it over and over again. It gives me such pleasure and joy to watch it because they're just singing and dancing for the joy of it. And that was a, a Vacation Bible School song from years ago, and so they, they were doing that to, to praise and worship God. But, but what I sense when I watch that video of my girls, and I know you probably have videos of your kids and grandkids and you feel the same way, that joy and pleasure you receive by watching that is just a sliver of what God experiences as he watches over us as we praise and worship him. God takes pleasure in his people. He takes pleasure in your worship. And you shouldn't be concerned with who is around you because your worship isn't for them. It's for God. He's watching, and he's receiving your worship with pleasure. It's bringing him joy, even if you're offbeat, even if you're out of tune, even if you're wearing a clip-on tie, even if you've got a, a beanie on. God takes pleasure in your believers, in, the, in believers. Let's move on to, to verse 6. Verse 6 of Psalm 149 says, Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Now that took a turn, didn't it? This sounds violent all of a sudden. This psalm is transitioning into something much different than what I thought it was going to be as I first started it. But we get this picture of, of God, of us praising God with our voices. We're dancing, we're singing, we're playing music, and we have swords ready for battle. Now I don't know much about Islam, but thanks to the news, this is kind of what I think when I think of Islam, is they're worshiping with swords. Um, this also reminds me of the Branch Davidians from back in the day in Waco, Texas, where they were praising God, but then they also had rifles. And this is the picture when I'm, getting, when I'm reading verse 6. And what is happening here? What do you, you think is happening here? Verse 6 is a transition between the two parts 
of this psalm, and the first part speaks of our purpose of worship, but then this next part in verses 7 through 9 speaks to our other purpose. So let's, let's, let's look at verses 7 through 9. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them judgment written, This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. The two-edged sword in verse 6, the swords are in verse 6 are to execute vengeance on the nation and to punishment on the people, to bind kings with chains and nobles with iron. Now, I've already given you biblical permission to dance. Now you may be wondering if I'm giving you biblical permission to form a militia. Before we go down the path of doomsday cults, let's consider what's happening here in Psalm 149. Um, Listen to this from Paul in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what is this passage in Romans? How does that work with what we're reading in Psalms? Paul is quoting the Old Testament when he says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32. This is 35 through 38. This is God speaking to Moses. Vengeance is mine and recompense, recompense. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection." Psalm 149 and verses 7 through 9 is showing us of our purpose of reigning with God under His authority. A big part of your purpose in life, your purpose of your salvation, the purpose of being a Christian is you will co-reign with Jesus one day. The ESV study Bible helps us understand this. Here is its statement on verse 7. At Christ's second coming, rebellious nations will be subdued. This is talking about referencing Revelation 19, 11 through 21. But in the meantime, the gracious subduing comes through the power of the gospel. This is referencing the great commandment or the great commission in Matthew 28. One day in the future, in our future, you and I, as God's people, We will, under Christ's authority, subdue rebellious people. We will execute judgment of God. In your notes, God allows believers to reign over unbelievers. So what does this look like? Probably not what the Branch Davidians look like. That didn't turn out well for them. What does this look like? God allows the believers to reign and rule over the unbelievers. 
Did you know that we are to judge the world? You and I are to judge the world. How? Psalm 149 tells us. Your notes, God's judgment is according to His Word. The judgment that believers reign over unbelievers is according to the Bible. We have the rule book right here. This is the authority. This is what we use to exercise judgment over the world, over the unbelievers. This is also the same book that we use to win the world over to God. Until it's time to judge the world, we win the world over using the Bible. We win them to Jesus. This is good news. So what are we to do? Use your time now to study and know this book. To know and study God's Word. Learn it and use it to share, to share your hope, the hope you have. Psalm 149 says all of this honors the believers. It honors the godly. In your notes, God's judgment honors believers. As a Christian, Jesus did not save you just to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus didn't save you just so that you would one day experience a perfect life. Yes, those are included in your salvation, but they are, the, they are not the extent of your salvation. There is much more. When you begin to believe in Jesus as he rescues you from your sin and your situation in life, you began a new purpose. You start a new life. Your new life took on new meaning and new purpose. You get to judge the world. You get to co-reign with Jesus according to the Bible, according to his word. What an honor and privilege that is. Believers will reign with God forever. Believers will reign with God forever. Listen to this from Paul in, Tim, in 2 Timothy. This, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Forever, forevermore is a long time. Eternity's future is never-ending. And that is how long Christians will co-rule and co-reign with Jesus. You will have purpose forevermore when you trust in Jesus. You will have purpose as you follow Jesus. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. Is your life currently lacking purpose? If you're a believer, spend time with God's Word to understand your God-given purpose of worship and reign. If you're lacking purpose and you haven't began to believe in Jesus, you will find your purpose in Jesus, in Christ. This is this purpose is for this life and the next, and it will last forevermore. Will you trust Jesus? Stand with me as we pray. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. 
Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all the godly ones. Praise the Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.